Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Let me get my notes together here. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on. How's everybody doing this morning? Great, great. Like my wife said, that's my lovely wife. My name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor to welcome you here to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. Glad to have you here. Also welcome to anybody who is uh, uh, listening to us through our uh, website or through podcast on iTunes. You are also welcome to worship with us here as well. Before I get started this morning, I just want you to join me in welcoming our, our newest member, Stephanie Snow. Could you just welcome her uh, to the Vineyard family? We always get excited about new members, especially if they're as nice as Stephanie. So welcome to the Vineyard family, Stephanie. Well, I just want to say before I begin today that this, uh, this message has a PG rating. Um, we're going to deal with some sensitive subject matter. So if I don't see any smaller children in here, if you have smaller children and you want to check them into the kids' ministry down there, that would be fantastic because I want the freedom to speak as the Lord has led me this week. Okay? All right. Well, this, this week, earlier this week, uh, I think it was Tuesday, I had a meeting with a gentleman here uh, in this building. Um, it was one of the gentlemen that manages this property, basically the people that we rent from. And I was meeting with him with regard to our future and, and the upcoming contract renewal that we have. And it was a fantastic meeting. But during this meeting, I, I couldn't help but notice this guy's cell phone. It was, it was a remarkable cell phone. It was dazzling. I mean, it had this really nice HD screen. It just shined. It looked like he just peeled that sort of plastic thing right off of it. And I couldn't help but admire his phone. So I asked him, say, how, how do you like that? How do they like that cell phone? He said, oh, these are the new uh, company cell phones that they just got us. He said, it's all right. I said, well, how do you like it? He said, it does everything well. It's fantastic uh, resolution, great to watch movies. It does everything well except make a phone call. <laughs> He's got this shiny phone. I mean, it's just big enough to be a good movie-watching phone. It's just small enough to not be ridiculously large for a phone. But he said, this thing does everything well except make a phone call. A few days later, I was talking to a friend of mine who showed me his phone. He had put this new case on his phone, and this was a slick case. I mean, it looked really nice. He said, this, this case is so nice, but it messes with my reception. And I thought, that's kind of odd. It's kind of just like the guy I met with a couple of days ago. He's got this fantastic thing that's supposed to do a certain function, but it does everything except what it's supposed to do. And as I reflected on that this week, I thought, isn't that just a perfect picture of our humanity? Isn't it a perfect picture of what we focus on? We do all the wrong things superbly. We get all the wrong things right, and we get all the right things terribly, terribly wrong. I'm of the opinion, um, just as a Christian leader, as a Christian man, that there are certain things in this life that we absolutely need to get right. I'll say that again. There are certain things in this life that we absolutely need to get right. And it's because of those that I stand up and preach every single week. It's because of those things that we need to get right that we've embarked upon the series that we're currently in. For those of you who've been tracking with us, you know that we're in the middle of a series that we've been calling Marriage, Relationships, and the Family. And this series is specifically designed to deal with one of the most important things in our life, as, as it relates to God and as it relates to other people, as it relates to why we're here on this earth, and that is relationships. If we neglect our relationships, if our relationships fall into disrepair, then the quality of our life is significantly re reduced, and our ability to please and serve God in the way that he deserves, he demands to be pleased and served, significantly goes down the tank. So this series that we've embarked upon is designed to talk about marriage, family, relationships, dating, raising kids, and everything in between. Why? Because relationships are one of those things that we absolutely need to get right. And we've said each and every week from the outset that this sermon series is not designed to give you ammunition and information to fix, to change, to work on someone else. This sermon series is designed specifically to give you the tools to work on you. Somebody say, work on me work on you. This is what the series is designed to do because this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to work on us. 
And I think one of the major aspects of our relationships, which, by the way, is what we're on this earth to do, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people, to be in good relationship with God and good relationship with people. One of the main aspects of our relationships here on earth uh, deals with our sexuality, particularly how we manage our sexuality, how we deal with our sexuality. And much of what God asks us to do, particularly as it relates to this issue, is to shape our own sexual ethic. I'll say that again. Much of what God asks us to do, particularly as it relates to this subject matter, is to shape our own sexual ethic. And ethics are simply a set of moral principles, especially ones relating to or affirming a, uh, affirming a specified group, field, or form of conduct. It's basically, the principles by which you live your life, the right and wrongness of the things in your world, how you perceive them, how you view them, not just for yourself, but how you view the world. The rightness or the wrongness shapes your ethics, how you look at the world. And what God calls us to do over and over is to shape our own sexual ethic. We are responsible for developing our own sexual ethics. But when it comes to developing our own sexual ethic, you have to understand that you have some choices. You can be active or you can be passive as it comes to that. You can be active, you can sit down, you can give it some thought, you can study, you can ask questions, you can give some critical thought to your own sexuality, you can critically think about how do you develop your own sexual ethic, or you can be passive. You can just sort of let it happen to you. You can just sort of move along the, 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 uh, the, the paths of life and just sort of let life happen to you and sort of just let society shape these sorts of things. So you have choices. You can be active or you can be passive. You, can, you have choices as to what shapes your sexual ethic. You can let God shape your sexual ethic. You can pour into his word. You can look into the scriptures and say, Lord, show me how to think. Show me how to view life. Show me how to manage my sexuality according to your word. You can let God do it or you can let our culture do it. You can let TV do it. You can let the music industry do it. You can let young starlets teach you how to, you know, to manage your sexuality and what that's all about. You can let God do it or you can let our culture do it. I guess the most important choice, one of the more important choices that you have in this whole matter is that you can do it now or you can do it later. You can do it now or you can do it later. You can develop your sexual ethic before you get into a compromising situation or you can try to do it when you're in the back seat and the windows are fogged up. You can try to figure out your sexual ethic now, or you can try to figure it out when you're alone with somebody in a hotel room. You can do it now as you're a teenager. You can figure that out now or teenage, when you're a teenager or when you're young, or you can do it later after failed marriages and after you've been saddled with all sorts of sexual brokenness. You have a choice. You have a choice. And it's my belief that if you decide to go with the healthiest way of doing that, you will combine all those choices, you will make the right choice, and you will actively let God shape your sexual ethic right now. You will actively, not passively, let God, not this culture, shape your sexual ethic right now as soon as possible. I've called this message this morning, Straight Talk About Christian Sexuality. And Christian sexuality just refers to a sexual ethic that has been shaped and informed by the Word of God. I believe that anytime you set Christian in front of anything, it should drastically change it for the better. It should kick that thing out of a neutral and kick it into something that's healthy and that's wholesome and that's pleasing to God, that's functional. So we're just not talking about any old sexual ethic. We're not just talking about managing our worldly, sort of secular sexuality. We're talking about doing it from a Christian perspective, with a thoroughly converted Christian mind as it relates to one of the most important things that we could ever manage in our whole life, and that is our sexuality. Because to get that wrong is to ruin your life. So I base this message. This message has been shaped by some of the frequently asked questions that I often get. I spend a lot of time with young people. Uh, through our men's discipleship group, 
We get 30 to 40 guys in this gym almost every single Wednesday for our basketball ministry, and these guys have questions. And most of them are unchurched. Some of them are church, but I get a lot of questions. And this message has been sort of shaped by those frequently asked questions that I get. I, I realize that this is sensitive subject matter, so I'm going to ask, uh, invite the Lord's presence to be with us this morning as we step off into this. Lord, thank you so much that your word, I thank you so much that your word doesn't leave us groping around in the dark trying to figure out which way is up. Lord, even though we, we bristle at some of your instructions, even though we bristle, Lord, at some of the things you tell us to do, we know that you instruct us to do things this way because you've planned it, you've designed it, and you know how the end will work out if we do things well, and you know how to work out if we do things poorly. So, Lord, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak? Would you let the truth of your word shine through? Lord, would you remove any obstacles, any baggage that we brought in here today that might complicate the hearing of this word? Lord, would you just, would you just tear that down? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get into this this morning, I want to start with a few basic assumptions. If you, I mean, you've, if you've heard any messages on the sub, sub, subject, you know it can go a number of ways. I'm choosing to go a specific uh, way today, and because I don't have time to flesh out every single thing, I want to begin with a, with a set of basic assumptions before, you know, so to sort of shape our time here together. And the first basic assumption that I'm going with as I embark upon this material is that I'm, I'm going forward with the basic assumption that God has the final say. If, if we don't start there then we can end up, this world can wind and wind and wind, and we can talk about, you know, opinion after opinion after opinion, and we can all leave with a different opinion. But if we look at God's word and we say, God, you have the final say on how this works, then we're going to get somewhere. We're going to get somewhere decisively. We're going to get somewhere, um, and we're going to reach a conclusion about these matters. So regardless of what you think, I want you to know that I'm coming from the perspective that God's word informs my understanding on this subject. Another basic assumption that I'm moving forward with today is that sex is not a bad thing. Sex is not a bad thing. And some of you say, well, that's obvious. Well, it's not obvious to the person who grew up in certain Christian circles where sex was deviant. You shouldn't talk about it. It's something that's dirty. It's something that you shouldn't get mixed up in. Everything you heard about sex growing up was negative. Everything you heard about it had a negative connotation. And I'm here to tell you that I don't view sex that way. I view it as something that's uh, beautiful, that's good when done in a healthy and wholesome way. So I'm so assuming, uh, I'm moving forward with the understanding that sex isn't a bad thing. I'm moving forward also with the understanding that there is a right way and a wrong way to manage your sexuality. Listen, there's nothing relative about the truth of God's word on this matter. There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. The right way blesses your life. The wrong way saddles you with baggage and ruins your life. So there's a right and a wrong way. And lastly, I'm moving forward under the understanding that there is forgiveness for all sexual sin and bro brokenness. There is forgiveness through God for all of the sexual brokenness that we can ever deal with. It's hard to hear some of these messages, particularly if you have a, a, a past that is really filled with a lot of sexual brokenness, a lot of sexual sin. Somebody might have misled you and told you that maybe, you know, what you've done is unforgivable. I want you to listen to this message today, understanding that whatever you're struggling with, whichever, whichever ways you've gone uh, wrong on this, there is forgiveness if you submit to God's plan and his purpose. Those are my basic assumptions as we move forward in this subject. Okay? So I think what we get at the, uh, when we talk about this, uh, I think one of the places that we have to hover around uh, is, is the idea of sexual immorality. We hear that word uh, bounced around in the scriptures. Paul talks a lot about sexual immorality. And I think it's important to ask that question, what is sexual immorality according to the scriptures? So in other words, what does God consider sexually immoral? What does God consider sexual impurity or unethical as it relates to sex and our sexuality. I want to look at a fantastic passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5 today. There are Bibles on each uh, end of your row. We'll also project the Scriptures on the screens. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 27 and read a few short verses. Verse 27, you have heard the commandment, this is Jesus talking, that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eyes, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What a powerful passage of Scripture. What a powerful passage of Scripture. This is Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, which is a famous passage of Scripture. Jesus is talking to a largely Jewish audience. These are church folks. I'm glad I'm addressing church folks today because this is who Jesus is talking to. People who are very in touch with the law, people who uh, very much want to live their life according to the law. So Jesus is talking to these folks. It's also helpful to understand that Jesus is using masculine language here because of the, the, the culture in which he lived. He's talking about a scenario between, with a, that deals with a man. But we need to understand, in our understanding of this passage, he's talking to everybody. It's helpful to understand that this is one of the most universal passages of Scripture in the Bible. He's talking to singles. He's talking to dating folks. He's talking to married folks. He's talking to teens. He's talking to adults. This applies to everyone. And each and every time I look at this passage, it has new meaning for me. And I see Jesus doing three things as I look at this short passage. And I just want to jog through those before I drive this home today. Jesus is doing three things here that I can see. And the first thing that I see Jesus is doing is that Jesus is stating the obvious. So Jesus states the obvious. He deals with the obvious. Verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Very first verse of this passage. And adultery is defined in, in Christian terms as marriage, a married person having sex with someone who is not married to them. Sex with somebody who is not your spouse. That's adultery. And Jesus says, listen, you've heard it communicated. You've heard the commandment that says, thou shall not commit adultery. And I think what that does for me is it just puts the obvious out there. Jesus is going to get into it. He's going to expand this some more. He's going to talk about this thing some more. But I think it's so important for us to deal with, internalize, embrace the obvious. What's on the surface? The low-hanging fruit. Jesus says, listen, adultery is off-limits. Let me just remind you of that. All sex out of the, outside of marriage is absolutely wrong. And I find it so annoying that Christians always, we're always trying to dig deeper. Well, what is the deeper meaning to this passage? Well, what is the Lord really saying here? You know, let me get my concordance, and let me get the lexicon, and let me study the Greek and the Hebrew. To see what the Lord is really saying here. Well, let's just look on the surface for a second. Let's just let's, let's deal with that. Sex outside of marriage is a no-no. It's absolute no-no. If God is going to shape your sexual ethic, if you're going to let the word of God inform how you manage your sexuality, we need to deal with the obvious because Jesus does. Sex outside of marriage, which includes fornication, that means unmarried folks sleeping with unmarried folks, other folks. It's absolutely wrong. So Jesus starts with the obvious. You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. We move on, and Jesus does something that I think is so vitally important, particularly if we want to have a good sexual ethic, a godly sexual ethic, is he attacks the gray area. Jesus attacks the gray area. And I found that this is absolutely necessary for me to do every single day, at every single turn, at every single issue of my life. Not just because I'm a preacher, because I'm a man of God. Not because I just have to stand up here to preach in front of you, but I have to stand before God, just like you do. And Jesus is always attacking the gray area in our lives, because for me, the more gray I have in my life, the more I screw up. The more wiggle room I give myself, the more things that are in my life that are fuzzy, and we're not even just talking about an area of sexual sin or sexual temptation or sexuality. The more gray that I have in my life, the more I'm operating in the red. And Jesus shows us how to deal with the gray area in our lives. I want as little gray area in my life as possible. There will be some gray. But I'm of the uh, opinion that we invite some gray. We, 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 we make some gray in our life. We're a culture that loves options. We don't like to be pinned down. We don't like to be nailed down. We don't like to be pigeonholed. You know, we don't be cornered into something. 
And the Word of God does that all the time. It takes away our options. It limits our options. And one of the things I see Jesus doing fantastically is he is attacking. He's not just questioning it. He's attacking the gray area. Verse 28, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, that's a difficult saying. That's a difficult pill to swallow. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about just men, men here. We're talking about women. We're talking about humans, people. And what Jesus is doing, he's doing something that he often does. He's identifying the extreme and saying, listen, anything from there to adultery is adultery. Anything from that sm a smallest infraction all the way to doing the deed is sin in my, in, in my mind. This is what the Lord is saying. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. When I read this passage to the young men uh, on Wednesdays, they're, I mean, their lips smack, they roll their eyes, they just can't believe it. Come on, man. Come on, dude. That's outdated. Come on, man. Just looking. Just, just, just looking, just taking a peek. It's adultery, according to the Lord. That ought to help you shape your sexual ethic. That ought to help you square away what's right and what's wrong. One of the most popular questions that I get asked by particularly young people and some older people uh, is, how far is too far? <laughs> how far is too far? And when I, whenever I hear that question, I go, oh, we're in trouble now. <laughs> now. How close to the line, preacher, can I get? You know, how, how much can I straddle the line before I'm in the danger zone? And I heard a preacher answer this question the best way I've ever heard him say. He said, whatever you wouldn't mind seeing your pastor on the front page of the newspaper doing with somebody other than his wife is what you can do. I'll say that again. If you... <laughs> Whatever you saw your pastor doing, if you saw your pastor on the front page of the newspaper accused of doing something with somebody that wasn't his wife, if that wouldn't bother you at all, then that's, that's, that's on limits for you. That's a goal for you. That really narrows it down, doesn't it? He said, Pastor, what, no, no kissing? No, you know, can we just caress a little bit? Listen, this is serious business. You want to do it right or you want to do it wrong? You want to do it right or you want to, do it, you want to get this right or you want to get it wrong? Listen, I, there's some things I'm just very in touch with the reality. As a single person, I just could not handle, okay? History was a good indicator of that. And I think as Christians, we have a very liberal sexual ethic. We've decided, you know what, I'm not going to have sexual intercourse with another person until I'm married. Asterix. Because there's a whole lot that's allowable. There's a whole lot of petting and rubbing and all sort of stuff that we just say is okay. But the Lord says that that's not okay. Jesus attacks the gray area and he requires us to attack the gray area. He says anything, all sex, all lust outside of marriage is sin. All sex, all lust outside of marriage is sin. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. If that informs your life as a single person, it changes it, doesn't it? That informs your life as a dating person in a dating relationship. That changes things, doesn't it? That informs your marriage relationship. That changes things, doesn't it? Jesus demands that we attack the gray areas as we shape our own sexual ethic. Finally, Jesus demands that we take action. Listen, you can know the truth on this subject until you turn blue. You can know the, the, the surface meanings and the implied meanings to the scriptures that deal with sexuality all you want. You can be able to write them backwards and forwards. 
you can be able to say them in three or four different languages. It means absolutely nothing if you don't take some action. It means absolutely nothing if you don't put some legs on those things and walk them out in your everyday life. If you don't take some action, it means nothing. What does taking action look like? Jesus says in verse 29 and 30, he says, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Listen, this is another bold statement. This little short passage is chock full of stuff. These four verses can single-handedly shape our entire sexual ethic and put us on the path to healthy sexuality toward our loving God who created it all. But this is some bitter pills to swallow. And Jesus says, you got to take some action if you want to do this right. You want to avoid sin? You want to avoid sexual impropriety? You want to live a life that's pleasing to God? You want to steward your sexuality in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, that's going to minimize the baggage that you put up? Uh, pick up. It's going to minimize the baggage that you saddle the person that you marry with. Then you've got to take some action. There has to be some proactivity. You might have to do some difficult things. You might have to stop doing some fun things. And I like the examples that Jesus gives here because he, he uses things that we consider necessity. Things as essential as our eye, not just our eye, but our good one. Our good eye. He says, listen, fella, if your good eye is causing you to offend me, to do something that you know is not right, you better gouge that sucker out because it's not worth it. And if the hand, that good hand that you have, your strong arm that you make a living with, that you feed your family with, you're pitching on. If it offends you, cut that sucker off because it's not worth you going holy in body into hell with all your sin and all of your brokenness and all of your dysfunction. The passive approach never works. Take it from me. Oh, I'm so sorry, I slipped up again. Well, maybe if I just wake up tomorrow, it'll fix itself. Maybe I'll just pray harder today. Maybe I'll take, you know, two communions portions, you know, this time. Doesn't work that way. Sexual purity never just happens. Now, to understand the culture that we live in, we, 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 our house is situated on a decline. And if you're inactive, and if you're in neutral, and if you're idling on a decline, you're only going to roll downhill. Think of your sexuality this way. The culture that we live in. Forget the culture for a second. Let's go back to square one, our fallen sinful humanity. It's always going to pursue the snacks of life. We're not, we don't want the vegetables. We don't want the nutritious stuff. We don't want the stuff. We, don't, we aren't naturally drawn to the stuff that's good for us. We're naturally drawn to the sweets or the snacks of life even though it will kill us. We're so foolishly short-sighted, so interested in gratifying ourselves for this very moment, and this very moment only, that we will always pursue the snacks of life if we're left in neutral. You add to that a culture that's sitting on a decline, you're going to always roll downhill, and you're going to crash, and you're going to burn. You may do it so slowly, but you will crash and burn. I haven't met a person that's beat this system yet. Satan whispering, you're, you're going to be the one that goes against the grain of God's system and wins. Satan's convinced you that you're slick enough. You're with it enough. You know when to say when, and you're going to beat God's system. Think again. Think again. Think again. Passivity never works. Jesus calls us to take action. Take action. So what are the implications? I said earlier that this affects everybody. This is absolutely universal. It affects a single person. It affects the, the dating person. 
It affects the married person. I just want to just generally go through the implications of each of those sections as we talk about engaging the obvious, attacking the gray area, and taking action. In the life of the single person, listen, square one is for you to understand that no sex means no sex. According to God's definition, that all sex and all lust outside of marriage is wrong, is off limits, then that's where we start. No sex means no sex. Means no pornography. It means no self-satisfying. It means no masturbation. Can you say that in church? No sex means no sex. This isn't our culture's prescription. This is God's prescription. No sex means no sex. That's how we engage the obvious. God commands us also as singles to attack the gray area. Attack the gray area. Listen, you might have to change some things in your life. All those things that are, well, maybe, I think it's okay. Well, if it's Saturday, I can do this. I haven't done this in a while. You know, I, I owe it to myself. Attack the gray area in your life. Listen, leave all the wiggle room. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It will destroy you. I can pass the microphone in this room. And you, if we were honest, you'd hear story after story about how the gray area has destroyed people's lives. And if you get messed up, you know, when you're 15 and 16, you've got to carry that stuff all the way through your whole life. It's going to affect how you, uh, your marriage. It's going to affect how you raise your children. Get rid of the gray area. Listen, I sympathize with you. I was single for a long time before I got married. I understand it's not easy. I'm not trivializing or uh, oversimplifying the struggle that you have because I understand it, because I've walked it out. But you got to get rid of the gray area. you got to eliminate the wiggle room. And part of doing that means you do what God commands us to do. What Jesus does is he commands us to take action. you got to take some action. Listen, some of you can't, you're not strong enough to have a computer in your room. You're not strong enough to have a computer in your house. Particularly if you struggle with pornography, how accessible it is. Listen, you're not strong enough. You got to take some action. You maybe you're not strong enough to have a data package plan that allows you to access the internet on your phone. Maybe, maybe you're not, maybe, you know, you're not strong enough for that. You got to cut that thing off. Listen, cable probably is not a good option for you. All those premium channels with all the premium stuff. That's a bad idea for you. Maybe you ought to call Comcast today and say, you know what, no thank you. I can use the cash anyway. I'm talking about taking action. Maybe there's some places you ought to decide not to go. As a Christian man, as a Christian woman, some situations you ought not find yourself in. Listen, I didn't come to get on your Christmas list today. I came to bring some freedom and some wholeness to you through the power of the gospel. You've got to take some action. There's implications in the life of a dating person. You're moving in the, rela- in the right direction. And if you, if you think like me, uh, dating is not, I don't believe in just casual dating. Let's see what happens dating. I believe that you date to marry. I believe that you don't waste each other's time. I believe that you don't unduly put yourself in a position where you're tied up when the person that you're supposed to be with might happen by. I don't believe in wasting time. Attaching yourself to a person that you know you're not going to marry. Listen, I, my, rec- my recommendation to you is this, the second you can't see yourself with that person, leave them in the dust. The second that you find out that you will not spend the rest of your life with this person, leave them in the dust. Do them, do them a favor and do yourself a favor. Leave them in the dust. But as a Christian, we approach dating in the right way. We date to marry. Listen, we, we have to engage the obvious. Engage the obvious low-hanging truth of God's word is no sex means no sex. Well, I'm just, just a down payment, you know. Come on. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. I don't even, I mean, I could talk about that a long time, but I won't. No sex means no sex. All sex, all lust 
outside of marriage is sin. Why does he keep saying that? <laughs> Some of you know why. No sex means no sex. They attack the gray area. Listen, listen. Christians get this wrong all the time. Christian daters get this wrong all the time. You're, you're in, you know, you're, you're alone together. One thing leads to another. You're cuddling, this, that, and the other. You got all these questions, all this gray area. You haven't decided what's off limits. You haven't had a conversation about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You haven't brought in somebody in to be, uh, to be accountable to. But what do you think is going to happen? If your only goal is to not have intercourse, physical intercourse, if that's your only goal, you need a longer list. Because no sex means in all sex and lust, it's, it's, it's fornication, it's adultery. So what does it mean to remove the grave? What does it look like? Part of it is you know you, you know the person that you're dating, you know your tendencies, you know what makes you say wow, you know what makes you get excited. And anything that remotely does that, you ought to run from it like it's the plague. I'm talking about removing the gray area. I'm talking about getting rid of the wriggle room so that you can be pleasing to the Lord and do yourself a favor and do your children a favor and be wholesome and healthy and whole when you walk into your marriage. There's implications for the, married per for the dating person as it relates to attacking the gray area. And, of course, you've got to take some action. You've got to take some action. You have to take some action. And I'll admit to you that my wife and I, we, we, we got this wrong. We got this wrong. We didn't put the, uh, the, uh, we didn't put the, the right uh, boundaries and things in, uh, in play. When I look back on it, we had some good boundaries. But the way I think about it now, it, was, it wasn't nearly enough. We gave ourselves too much room. We gave ourselves too much room. We gave ourselves too much room. And what it looks like for you to take action and to, be act, to play an active role in shaping your sexual ethic means that you will need to sit down and talk to somebody Come with, with God-breathed boundaries for your dating relationship and tell somebody. Tell somebody that you would be ashamed it, to go to them and, and confess your sin. Don't tell your buddies who could care less. Tell somebody where you, you, would be, you would feel convicted, you would feel bad when you have to confess that you've broken or you crossed a boundary. You've got to take some action. You've got to be willful about this stuff. Willful about this stuff. And lastly, there's implication for the married person. The married person. The married person. I'm so sick of Satan destroying marriages. I'm so tired of seeing my colleagues, and by colleagues I mean other preachers, throwing their whole ministries away, throwing their whole family, uh, families away for a good time. I'm so sick of it. It makes me angry. It makes me fearful, to be perfectly honest. These guys, as I've esteemed, listen, if they can do that, listen, but by the grace of God go I. Paul says, I know that there's nothing but wickedness in me. Paul says, I know I do the stuff that I'm not supposed to do, and I don't do the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Lord, help me. So we got to be active and preserving these marriages. We got to be active. We got to develop a strong sexual ethic, especially if we are married. And the first step in that is, again, to engage the obvious. All sex and lust outside of marriage is absolutely wrong. That means that second look, fellas. That means that third look, fellas, ladies. That means that inappropriate relationship that you have at the office. You're a little too excited to see that guy every day. You find yourself wearing that blouse over and over that he's complimenting this, and you're stepping off into the wrong stuff. You're going out to lunch, and you're getting real cozy. Listen, that's, that's foolishness, man. That's suicide. All sex, all on... Lust, listen, that, those porn sites that you're doing on the side, whether she minds or not, 
there's a growing number of folks who don't mind that sort of thing, or think that sort of thing is helpful. And I don't have time to go off it. But listen, I don't care. We're talking about what God says. All sex, all lust outside of marriage is absolutely wrong, and we got to deal with that. So we move to eliminating the gray as it relates to married folks. And part of eliminating the gray means this, and there's no wriggle room when it comes to somebody outside of your, 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 your marriage. You won't catch me in a cafe somewhere having lunch with another woman. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it's about. Listen, there has to be an axe murderer after you for me to give you a ride in my car if you're a woman. I've made very few exceptions in my life for that. There's an axe murderer hop, hop in the back. I'll, I'll slow down. I won't stop. I'll open the hatchback for you and get down. Don't, don't let <laughs> I'm partially joking about that. You can sit up. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's to protect you, and that's to protect me, and that's to protect my reputation and the reputation of this church in this place where God has called me to be a leader. Listen, I know what makes me say, wow. I know what gets my attention. I have to contend with it every single day. And it's my job to run from those things. It's my job to run from those things. Because the second I start making allowances, the second my wife starts making allowances, well, I'll just do it this once. Oh, she just, I mean, she just lives around the corner. I guess I'll come in just this once. You need prayer? You want me to lay some hands on you? <laughs> just this, well, I mean, it can turn sour real quick. I'm talking about eliminating the gray. All the wiggle room. Cut it out. Cut it out. Seal up every, crack every crevice that the enemy can come in to, 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 to corrupt your marriage. Because it only takes one time. Do you realize that there's one, you're one bad decision away from ruining your whole life? You're one misstep away from throwing everything away. You don't believe me? Ask John Edwards, Ted Haggard, Jimmy Swagger. The list goes on and on. Political figures. We've got the world in their hand. Up-and-coming uh, politicians. Preachers with mega churches with a lot to lose. One bad decision, which led to a series of bad decisions, which led to a series of cover-ups, ruined their lives, damaged their reputation. And not just theirs, their church, their wife, their children. This goes on and on and on. Eliminate the gray, and by all means, take some action. Take some action. Take some action, married folks. Listen, there's accountability software on every computer and every iPad, every electronic device that I use, that if there are inappropriate websites accessed, my wife immediately gets an email. Immediately. Listen, I have a history with this stuff. And if I, want this, if I don't want this to ruin my life, I've got to take some action. Just about every Tuesday evening at about 9.30, myself, Terry Archer, and David Maldonado, we meet and we talk about our junk. Our goal isn't to shoot the breeze or to study the Bible. Our goal is to get real about where we fell down that week and develop some strategies and implement some systems so it doesn't happen again. So it doesn't happen again. My wife has every password that I own. She can check my email. She doesn't have to consult with me. Listen, what's mine is yours. She can pick up my phone at any moment of the day and thumb through it if she likes. She can get into my email. Listen, there's no secrets here. Listen, I'm not creating a culture or a systems where I can hide. Our bank accounts are joint. She has access to where I'm spending our money. She can look into my life. I've given her permission to ask me uh, anything that she wants to know. Nothing about my life should be off limits to her, with the exception of what my mini group folks tell me. 
She often asks me, when I come home on Tuesday night, what'd you tell your mini group? Now, if she said, hey, what'd David tell you? <laughs> that's, I said, no, that's, 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 that's personal. But she often asks me, what'd you tell your mini group? What'd you tell your mini group? And listen, if I've fallen down that week, that's a very difficult conversation that I have to have with her. And that difficult conversation that I have to have with her is at the front of my mind as I'm going about my day because I don't want to have a difficult conversation with these guys. And I especially don't want to have a difficult conversation with her. So that, that keeps me on track in many ways. Taking some action. I'm dealing with my issues. I'm dealing with my sinfulness. I'm running away from the things that make me go, wow, I want to take a second look. I think the question that we all have to ask ourselves is if Satan were to make a fool out of you, how would he do it? If you don't know the answer to that, you're going to be in trouble. I know my answer. I know my answer. Satan was going to embarrass you, discredit you, and make a fool of you in this area. How would he do it? You ought to know. And I know. I know mine. I know some of yours. But I run in terror from mine. Talking about taking some action. So what is the key in all of this? I'm going to the big picture. What's the big picture here? What is the key to getting this right? If getting it wrong is devastating to our bottom line, if getting it wrong will devastate us sexually and devastate us relationally with God and the people in our life, what is the key? And the key is none other than dying to ourselves. No, you thought it was something deeper than that, something more profound than that, but the key to this is dying to yourself. Luke 17, verse 30 says, 33 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it, and if you let, your, let go of your life, I'm sorry, if you cling to your life, you will lose it, and if you let your life go, you will save it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The key, friends, is dying to yourself. You are not your own anymore. You are not your own anymore. Listen, who you are, your default settings are sinful. It's selfish. It always pursues the snacks of life and will always ruin you. You don't believe me, just look behind you. Look at the mess we've made. Look at the baggage that you carry around. Look at the mess that we've stowed in closet after closet. Now Jesus says, listen, if you die, if you die, you will live. If you get rid of that stuff, if you surrender your right to call, uh, call your own shots, to be in the driver's seat, then that's where true life happens. That's where true wholeness and health happens. But the second you try to grip the wheel, the second you say, I'm not ready to die yet, I got a few more things that I haven't tried, that's when the thing turns upside down. So all of what we're talking about is doing what God says, no matter what the culture says. Doing what God says, no matter what your tendencies are. Denying yourself. I don't have time to flesh out the whole homosexuality issue. I think I need to devote a whole lot of time to that to do it right. But I'll just say this. There's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe from some very influential people as it relates to this issue. But we have to let God shape our worldview on this. And I sympathize with a person, particularly the Christian, who's trying to die to that part of themselves. They're saddled with homosexual desires. They don't know what to do with that. I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine for the church to be sort of beating them over the head with hate instead of love, with rejection instead of acceptance. I can't imagine being in that person's shoes. But their struggle is, is very similar to ours. I'm not going to get into the argument as whether or not you're born that way or not. I don't, I don't know all of that. What I do know is that I am not naturally monogamous. In other words, I, naturally my mind just wants to say, well, man, look at all these women. I want them all. 
That's not who I am. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not monogamous by nature. But Jesus says I need to be that way. So I have to die to myself, and I have to do that. There are certain desires that I have naturally that are just off limits that I have to say, I'm going to die to that part of myself. And I think that sits at the, at the very foundation of the, of the homosexual issue. Regardless of whether or not you're born that way or you have these natural desires, we don't need to get into all that, I mean, right now. What we need to understand is that God says no, and you need to seek him and surrender that part of your life to him. And that's not, an, that's not me oversimplifying it because I know it's a very complex issue, but at the end of the day, we have to do what the Lord says to do. We have to do what the Lord says to do. The Lord wants us to engage the obvious. Worship team, you can come up. He wants us to attack the gray area, and he wants us to take action. And as some of you reflect today on your life, your sexual ethic, your sexual history, the brokenness that you deal with, many of us have a great deal of shame and embarrassment because we've got this very, very wrong. Very, very wrong. We've been uh, short-sighted. We've been foolish. We've been self-serving and self-seeking, and it's run us into the ground. It's run us into the ground. And some of you here are young people. You've not got off into things yet, and you're in the process of sort of trying to figure out and try to shape how you're going to think about this. That's a great thing to do. That's a great thing to do. For you young people, listen, let God shape it. Let him work on you. Commit yourself to doing the difficult things to make this thing work. For us older folks, it's not too late. Everything you've done, every person you've slept with, every pornographic piece of material that you've viewed, if you, if you, if you bring that to the Lord, he will get rid of it like it never happened. But you have to understand the same distance that you have walked away from the Lord with regarding your sexuality is the same distance that you have to turn around and walk back. And the Lord wants you to start today. He wants you to start today walking back toward him. He wants you to start today. And for those of you who have walked a long way, listen, you've got a long way back. I'm just going to, that's real talk. You've got a long way back. You've got a lot of work to do. You got a lot of denying yourself to do. You got a lot of action to take. But the Lord will walk that road with you, and He promises you healing and wholeness, healthy singleness, a healthy dating life, a fantastic marriage if you do it His way. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you don't just throw us away when we offend you. That, Lord, you don't see us with all this baggage and say, listen, you don't qualify for love and acceptance. You don't qualify for the kingdom of God, Lord. It's our baggage. It's our brokenness. It's our spiritual bankruptcy, Lord, that makes us candidates to be citizens of the kingdom. Lord, you're calling each and every one of us to shape our own sexual ethic, to be active about it, to allow you to shape it, and to do it right now. So Lord, would you just bring your power and your presence here, Lord? Would you just flood over us as we, as we enter a time of worship? Would you melt away the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the fear, Lord, the lack of courage? Would you just melt it away by your spirit? By your spirit. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.